Hello everyone and welcome to the latest installment of Borders Blatherings, our podcast where we shine a light on the curious, shadowy and often very magical history of our Scottish borderlands. And of course, I'm joined as ever by Mary Craig. Well today, Mary? Uh, a bit soggy after walking through the rain, but other than that, I'm absolutely <laughs> fine. How are bit. you? Yeah. Not too bad. I've recovered from a little bit of ill health, so everything's fine now. And it's good to see you sitting in my home office just nearby so we can get on with a, a good old blether. Absolutely. And I have chosen a really interesting topic for today's podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Football. Football, oh, really? <laughs> oh. You you and I never talk about football. No. Although I try to get it in now and again. <laughs> um, the reason I wanted to start with <laughs> with football is, you know I'm a hippie. Mm-hmm. Born in Leaf. Yeah. A lifelong hippie fan. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the song Sunshine on Leaf by the Proclaimers mm-hmm is one of the greatest ever football songs. (laughs) Okay. I think it's up there with You'll Never Walk Alone, to be honest. Now, I am partial. I admit that. (laughs) But it is a joy to hear it and to sing along with it on the very rare occasions when Hibs win anything of import. Okay, right. (laughs) But it's not that song I wish to talk about. I'd like to start with another Proclaimers song, which is Letter from America. Ah, Now, many, many years ago, when I first heard that, and lending half an ear to the lyrics, Mm -hmm. I assumed that was a song about the Highland clearances. Ah, okay. Um, Then on second and third listening, what happened to me was I heard the chant at the end of this song. Mm -hmm. Now, the Reed brothers are not here to help us with this. (laughs) Okay. But... At the end, you'll, you'll be familiar with it. Bathgate, no more. Mm-hmm. Linwood, no more. Mm-hmm. Methyl, no more. Yep. Irvin, no more. Mm-hmm. Now, these are places in the central lowlands. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to think to myself, so is this the proclaimers trying to do a more modern parallel with the Highland clearances talking right. about yeah, yeah, yeah. the... I won't say destruction, but the falling apart of Scottish industry, particularly in the, yeah, the central post, lowlands. post-industrial, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that now leads me to a question for you. Although the Highland clearances are well-known, well-documented, and in academic circles well-talked about, mm-hmm. were there lowland clearances around the time of the agricultural revolution? So here I'm, I'm kind of a late 18th, early 19th century. Because mm-hmm. while the Highland clearances, I would argue, are particularly well-known, I've never read much about the Lowland clearances. So, A, weather, and B, were they as damaging and impactful as the Highland clearances? The answer is yes to both. Wow. You're quite right about the Highland clearances. If you, if you just talk about the clearances in Scotland, everybody expects the word Highland to be in yes, front of that. yes. There were massive lowland clearances mm-hmm. that started before the Highland clearances and lasted for a lot longer and were equally, if not more, destructive to people's lives, oh, wow. livelihoods, the social order, 
right the way across the lowlands and the borders gets really badly hit by them. So really you're going to tell hit. me more people were affected by the lowland clearances Prob- than, probably than were more, affected yes. by the highland clearances? Probably, yes. Yes. And yeah, my teacher's never touched on that. <laughs> <laughs> because the lowland clearances were done differently. The highland clearances were military. They went up and it was to break the clan system. So you go up, you mm-hmm. take a brigade of soldiers up and you clear a glen in a year, say. You get a thousand people off land so you can shove sheep on it. It's partly economic, so mm-hmm. you can make as much money as possible. It's partly political because you're, you're wanting to control Scotland. And it's partly military retribution for the rise of the 15 and 45. It's done extremely brutally and we know all about it. The lowland clearances were done by legal sharp practice, legal niceties, by stealth and using a very clever marketing campaign which said, we're not clearing it, we're improving the land. Uh, uh, yeah. It's improvement, it's not clearances. Early levelling up, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so it actually starts before the Highland clearances, but it starts off in Galloway initially. What they did in Galloway was they tried to clear the land the way they would later on do in the Highlands, and it caused a huge Furore, huge stushy, because what they did was they went in mob-handed, all the landowners like the Duke of Hamilton, people like mm-hmm. that, went in and went, now, nah, you're not getting your lease at the end of the year, get off the land. And they brought in gangs of thugs, basically, to drive people off the land. But the problem was that the folk in Galloway went, oh, I don't think so. And they fought back, and they complained, and they went to the courts. So there was a huge backlash about this. Mm. And because there had been a rise in literacy, people were writing letters to the newspapers and saying this is an outrage. And the Duke of Hamilton's political enemies, who didn't actually care about the ordinary people at all, but they went, oh, isn't he being awful? Isn't he being terrible? Mm -hmm. So it stops. So by the time it's sneaking over sort of South Lanarkshire and coming across into the borders, it's being done very, very differently and stealthily. And because of that, it was extremely effective and we're still living with the results of that today in the borders. I think I have a question down the line for you on that <laughs> one. Yeah. So the Highland clearances are in some way a, a, a consequence of the 1745, inverted commas, rebellion. Yes, yeah. Uh, but here we have a different pattern emerging because presumably at that time, this is densely agricultural land down here. Yes, if you lowest. look at if you look at old maps of the borders, uh-huh. the place is awash with ferm tunes yeah. where you've got maybe 150, 200 people living together. Yeah. And you've got the same farming system as roughly you have up in the Highlands and the same farming system that you've probably had since medieval times. You have your cottage and then at the back of your cottage you've got your infield, your rig. And that's where you grow your crops and you keep your chickens. And then you've got an outfield where you graze your your cattle or your sheep. And everything is held in common tenancy. Mm -hmm. And that has worked for generations. And what happens is every sort of autumn, you you slaughter your cattle and your sheep and you get your crop, you pay your rent to your landlord and you're paying your your rent in kind. So you're paying with chickens and hens and butter and maybe a couple of days work for for the laird, whoever that happens to be. And it works perfectly. And you get in, you get your lease renewed every November. 
But then things are starting to change. We're coming out of mercantilism after we're coming out of the Darien stuff yeah. and we're going into proto-capitalism and people are looking at the borders and this is rich agricultural yeah, land. I get that and now. Thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. now, economies of scale work in agriculture just as much as industry. So all these little rigs, mm. all these little fields that everybody's got, they're very lovely and they're very cute and it means that people have a particular way of lifestyle. But if you have lots more rigs, if you have a little farm or a bigger farm or a very, very big farm, you can make a lot more money. So what you do is it comes to November and there's maybe 10 people in a in a village and they've each got an infield and an outfield. And then you pitch up in November and you say, oh, no, I don't really want any of them. So you choose one person mm. and you say, I will let you have all of all the of land yeah. and I'll give you a 19-year lease. And you think, oh, fantastic. I've got more land and I've got 19 years security for my family. And all the other people say, yeah, but what about us? And they say, oh, well, no, you're not getting a lease anymore. So the trouble is that that's a legal thing. You can do that. It's not illegal. So the people who used to farm their own bit of land haven't got a leg to stand on. There's nothing they can do. They're not being forced off the land at the end of a bayonet, but the land's just been taken away from them. It's literally just been stripped from them. So their choices are to work as a labourer on the one guy in the village that's been given the big 19-year lease or to drift into the towns and get a job as a weaver in a mill. Uh-huh. If you're lucky and if you can learn how to be a weaver because it's a very skilled job. Yes, indeed. So people, a few people start to drift away. So the land is sort of being cleared, but very gently and very slowly. So the guy that's got the 19-year lease, he's really happy now. Oh, it's fine, I'm sorted. But then the landowner says, well, actually, what I want is I don't want chickens and butter and and a couple of days ploughing from you. I want cash. Mm -hmm. I want cash every single year. And you think, all right. So you have to change what you're growing and what you're, you're, you're producing from the land. So you need fewer people because the best thing to do is to put sheep on there because you can sell the wool and you can sell the mutton. So you need fewer people. So the guys that were working for you as farm labourers, you don't need as many of them. Mm. So they drift away as well. Economically, they're just drifting away. And it's just been done ever so gently and ever so gently. Mm. But then these are people who don't have their infield anymore. They're still living in their cottage. So the the landlord says, "Uh, oh, by the way, you have to pay rent for your cottage. And you say, oh, well, uh, oh, that's right. I don't have any chickens anymore. And I don't have any. Oh, what am I going to do? And you say, well, we want money. We want actual money rent for your cottage. And you say, well, I haven't got any. And you say, well, you better get some. So you drift away to the town because that's the only place you can get any money. Or maybe you send your daughter to the mill to work in the mill to bring Mm -hmm. in the money. But that means she's going to marry somebody in the town and not a farm boy. So you're slowly drifting people away from the land. Yeah, big social impact. But then the other thing you do, and of course this is something we've spoken about in the border so much about the lack of deference or the over-deference rather, is the fact that what you do is initially, and my favourite bogeyman, the Church of Scotland's involved, you've got these 10 families that have got the in-rings. You're going to offer one of them a 19-year lease. So who are you going to offer it to? Are you going to offer it to the mouthy guy that's out complaining about something and you're not wanting him? So what you do is you go to the minister and you say, who is the most passive person? in the community. Mm. Who's the most docile? Who's the guy that gets along with everybody? And the minister says, oh, you want Doug? You say, okay, I'll offer Doug a 19 years. Who's the bullshit person? Who doesn't turn up to the kirk on a Sunday? And you deliberately don't give him a lease. And what you do is you deliberately don't give him a lease publicly in a way where you're going to cause a row. And there's a fight. 
So because you don't want this person staying in their cottage, you want to get rid of this person. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. what you do is you deliberately cause a fight. And maybe he's going to be, he's going to get drunk on a Saturday because he hasn't got his lease. You're going to start a fight. You're going to get him arrested. He's going to end up. And if he's lucky, he'll just get beaten up. If he's unlucky, he might end up in the sheriff court and end up with six months in the jail for a free. Or if he's really, really unlucky, he gets a one-way ticket to Australia. Bye-bye, you're transported and the wife and the kids get chucked out. And that's what you do. So you're removing people that are going to fight you. Yeah. By picking them off one by one by one. And the church and is playing hand. a and the church key helps. role in this. Yeah, yeah, because they know who's the bullshit person. They don't want yeah. them in the kirk anyway. And the more you do this, the more people start to drift. But the guy that's got the 19-year lease, he thinks he's made it. Well, not really, because the, the laird is now saying, like, I need you to lime the fields. Well, you've got to buy that in. I need you to grow certain crops, or I need you to raise sheep. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the 19 years... There's a bit of a problem because if you've improved the land, then you'll get another 19-year lease. But if you've improved the land too much, the annual rent's going to be so high you can't get it. So you're in a sticky wicket there. There's a price to pay. Exactly. So maybe after four or five years of your 19-year lease, the harvest fails. You know, the weather does that sort of thing. And you can't pay that year's rent. Mm. But the landlord's really nice. And what he says is, don't worry about it. You can pay me next year. And he's 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 a good guy. So you go on to the next year and you say to the landlord, well, there's this year's rent and I owe you last year's rent. I've got that last year's rent. And he says, well, where's my interest? Because I let it lie for a year, so I want the interest. And you go, oh, I haven't got that. It's okay, let it lie for another year. And so there's a nice little debt building up there. And eventually you've got so much of a debt that you either have to walk away from the 19-year lease. If you still have your kneecaps. <laughs> but you can't do that because there's a get-out-of-jail-free card because... You have to pay yeah. to leave the lease early. And you think, well, I can't do that because then I've got no land and I've got debt. I'll send my daughter into the mill. So again, families are getting shoved off. Eventually, some guys just said, I can't do this. And so they would actually say, well, if I, I've got land and debt and I'm just getting further in debt, if I go into the town and work in the mill, I'll get an annual wage and I can pay that debt off. And so a lot of people leave it. So again, the landlord's getting that bit of farm and this bit of farm. And before you know where you are, they've got so many farms that the village itself is erased. Yeah. If you look at, there's a, a village, or there was a village called Lauer. I think that's how you pronounce it, L-A-U-R. And that village was there, that Ferntoon was there. Oh, where was that? Near Stobel. You try oh, looking for it now. Doesn't exist. Never heard of it. Now. Wiped off the map. Lauer. Or you might get things where, the, the town of Newcastleton, Built by the Duke of Buclew. Mm-hmm. Lovely town of Newcastle. Look, I've built you a new village. Isn't that nice? Well, if there's a new Castleton, there must have been an old Castleton. There was. There was a village called Castleton right next to Little Castle. Yeah. Trouble was, that was prime farmland. Yep. So the Duke of Buclew just says, I'm just moving you. Whether you want to move or not. So he moves you off the land into the town. And this is something where this is something that absolutely is, is still evident in the borders. I'm going to talk about bin day or garbage day for any American listeners that we have. You go through any town in the borders and you will notice that people's front doors open directly onto the street. Yep. And if you go through places like Magdala Terrace. That's a good example. <laughs> and on bin collection day, all the bins are there. So what used to happen was you had your cottage, right? Yep. At the back of your cottage, you had your run rig where you kept your chickens, you grew your food. Yep. And the midden, which was your rubbish heap, your garbage heap, was out the front of the house. 
deliberately so, so that when the guy came with the cart to pick it up, he could access it. The ends marched to the midden. Yep. Uh, and it was right. kept away from where you were growing your crops so they don't get contaminated. Ah, okay. But the Duke of Beclue did not want to see nor smell your midden. Indeed. So your midden goes to the back of the oh. house. But that then means that you have got less land in which to grow vegetables to feed your family. Mm-hmm. And it is a pain to get rid of your midden because how do you get it through your house when the cart comes to collect all of yeah. your rubbish? Yeah. And that's the way the houses were deliberately built. This is stealth. Yeah, yes. This is stealth. So it's all done by legal niceties. Uh-huh. There were a few people that went to the courts to complain about the fact they were being pushed off the land and the court said, but there is nothing le- illegal being done here. You're not being cleared off the land. You merely have not had your lease renewed and you may not have had your lease renewed because you're a bad tenant or you're a bad farmer uh-huh. or you've got a rotten reputation. There is no legal redress for anybody. The, the, Mary, this is this is one of the things that I find about modern uh, life quite disturbing. Is you often hear, well, we or I haven't done anything illegal. Mm-hmm. To which my immediate comment is, yeah, but what about unethical or immoral? Or immoral. Yeah. Where do you stand on this one? Yeah. So this is, this is the problem: is that the Duke of Buckingham and the Duke of Roxburgh mm. had broken no laws. Yeah. And the problem is that the Highland Clearances happened in a specific period. The Lowland Clearances went on for about 100-odd years. So you're clearing people off the land and clearing people off the land. There were some people went to Canada, New Zealand, America, Australia, we know that. Now, for everyone that could somehow scrape together the money to go, Mm. there were 10 families that couldn't. couldn't, And now I'm going to draw you a very modern parallel. So what you do is you've got nowhere to live. You've got no way of making an income. You've been pushed and shoved. Your way of life, which was to get up and feed your chickens and barter, all of that's gone. We're now into a a capitalist system. Your daughter's working in a mill. Your son's wandered off anywhere. So your whole life has been shattered. So you decide you want to go to Canada to Uh make a new life. But you've got no money. So what do you do? You go to the most unscrupulous person you can find. And you go into debt and he shoves you in the back of a cart that takes you to Leith. And then you go into the bottom of the hold of a ship where you probably work on your passage. And then you go to Canada and you get off the ship in Canada and you are working for five years in some horrible job to pay off that debt you've got. Just like modern-day asylum seekers. Very much. That's what happened. So all this, oh, people went away to Canada and Australia Uh and made a new life for themselves. Not willingly. In, in, in many, sorry to interrupt, but in a lot of the, well, let's say popular and populist cultural books like Trump and ours, you, you come across this, ah, yeah, the Scots and the Irish are great travellers. Mm-hmm. And I, I often resist that concept <laughs> because there's a real backstory yeah. behind that need yeah. to travel. I mean, in any... People who migrate to different countries, it, there's always a push and a pull. Yeah. But during the, the lowland clearances, yeah. they were being pushed, pushed. out. Yeah. There was nothing you could do. And I mean, as I say, it wasn't done at the end of a bayonet, but in a way it was worse because it was so insidious. Yeah. Yeah. You literally, yeah. you could be the best person in your farm tune. Yeah. But if the Duke of Buckley or the Duke of Roxburgh don't want you, tough tatties, that's it. And it's November because... Martin Mass is the 11th of November, and that's when uh, leases were renewed. They were renewed then, yeah. So what yeah. do you do when all of a sudden you've got nothing and you're facing a border's winter? 
Now you might, if you're very, very lucky, you might be allowed to stay in your cottage over the winter whilst you run about like a headless chicken trying to find a job somewhere doing something. So a question I need to ask you at this point, apart from the most mild-mannered and compliant farmer in the area, Mm -hmm. in the village, and the landowners themselves, who benefits from this? The landowners benefit hugely. Hugely. Yeah. The church benefits hugely. Uh-huh. I wanted if to get you the, back the, on the, the church. <laughs> the, middle, the, the, the church benefits because all the troublemakers <clears throat> have gone. Yeah. You know, anybody who's a troublemaker in any way yeah. gets yeah. deported to Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, there was a, a an academic about 10 years ago now who did a calculation that if the Highland and Lowland clearances had not happened, mm-hmm. the population of Scotland today would be about 8.5 million. Uh-huh. We're missing about 2.5 million people. I'm sure they've got lovely lives in Canada and Australia and New Zealand and, and, and America, but they didn't go there. Well, some of them did. Obviously, some of them did, but many of them didn't. Not because we're great travellers. No, because they were forced out. Yeah. There were people who were yeah. forced up to Edinburgh yeah. and forced down to Newcastle, and this drip, drip, drip yeah. happens yeah. all the time. And then what you do is you've got the Duke of Buccleuch and the Duke of Roxburgh later on in the 18th century are passing laws that benefit them by enclosing the land. Mm. So even the farmers that have got the 19-year lease. So previously um, you had things like, as I say, you had common pastures. You were also allowed to do gleaning in fields and you're allowed to, anything that had fallen from a tree, you were allowed to use as fuel. Mm-hmm. That then becomes illegal. And you literally have court records of women in their 70s being arrested for theft because they've collected uh, wood that's fallen in their pennies, which was, that was naturally what you were allowed to do. Women would go into forest and whatever you could put in your yeah. penny and walk yeah. away with, you were allowed to have. Ownership, yeah. Right? yeah. And that was absolutely fine and everybody knew that. That then <clears> becomes a criminal offence. And yeah. then, of course, the minute you've got a criminal record, you can be put out of your cottage. You can't get a lease on anything. You can't get work in the mills. You're destitute. And people are now starting to die of starvation mm-hmm. because you're collecting wood for the winter. You're found. You're arrested. You're convicted. Yeah. You're chucked out your cottage and you still don't have any fuel for the winter and you will die of starvation. Proportionately, more people were forced off the land in the lowland clearances than in the highland clearances. Brilliant. Well, not brilliant at all, but, but thank but, you yeah. for that explanation. But, yeah. This reminds me of a, a time many, many years ago when I, not fell out, but I was in this long debate with my adoptive father because he bought shares in, 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 in a couple of companies and he bought his council house. Mm. And I said to him, you know, Mrs. Thatcher's doing this because there's a price to pay. She wants you to vote for her. Mm-hmm. She's trying to turn you into a proto-capitalist. Yeah. And we had many, many long discussions about this. Yeah. Uh, I had thought that did many of the people from this, the, the, these more rural areas, did they move to Glasgow and to Edinburgh? From the borders, they tended to move, obviously, into the borders towns, but then you would go up to Edinburgh, possibly uh, down to Berrycomplete, possibly uh, down to Newcastle. This is the basis of my question. You know, but going across to the west, then you've got folk drifting yeah, up to, yeah. to, to Glasgow and the bigger towns there. And here comes Cassie. Oh. Cassie, come on. She's migrating to the, to the cow tray. We haven't heard <laughs> you on this podcast today. One, many, many months ago, when we talked about how Scottish is 
the Scottish Borders region. Yeah. I have made that point that often my impression is that the Borders, it, it's a kind of small country between England and Scotland. Between the two, yeah. Did many of these people who were displaced move to the north of England? Some did, And can yes. that give us a hook into why there is this much stronger identification near the, near, near the border? Yes, I mean, it goes back to obviously you had the Border Reavers, which yeah. were, you know, both Scottish and English, if you like, roaming across that border that was meaningless. I mean, this yeah. is the thing with the border is it's eye blurred for some reason, you know, during the yeah. Cromwellian Protectorate or the Wars of Independence or the Reaving, but debatable lands that have been debated. But yeah, yeah a lot of folk yeah. moved south. And of course, what you often get is for, for mothers and fathers who could just about manage, you get the situation where sons will move away and daughter, daughters moved into the mill towns and worked in the mills. Uh-huh. Sons would drift away. And of course, once the sons have drifted away, they're finding a lassie to marry in Durham or Newcastle. They're not coming back. Mm. And of course, there's also the fact that you had a higher death rate because of the girls moving into the towns. Because again, if you use Gal Shields as an example, Gal Shields a couple of hundred years ago had roughly the same population as it has today, but it didn't have the lovely housing estates that ring Gala yeah. Shields. All it had was the centre of Gala Shields. Yeah. So if you're coming out of a farm cottage where you had your chickens and you had your fresh eggs and you yeah. had fresh butter yeah. and clean air and fresh water and you're now living in a tenement in Overhorse Street, three flights up, what do you do with your midden? Mm. So the death rate goes through the roof. The childhood death rate amongst urban populations as opposed to rural populations, we know what those are like. The levels of miscarriage, the levels of, of early deaths, and then accidents in the mill. So what you're getting is you're getting a population that's being forced in, in into squalid conditions. So again, you've got a death rate. So people are being cleared off the land and then dying. Mm. They're either dying because of unsanitary conditions or they're dying on board ship to Australia or yeah, Canada yeah, or yeah, somewhere like yeah. that. And they're just not there. And all that happens is the Duke of Baclou becomes richer and the Duke of Roxburgh becomes richer, and the two of them donate to the church, which becomes richer. And then, of course, what you end up with in the middle of the 19th century is you get the formation of the Free Church of Scotland because people are getting angrier and angrier and angrier about the fact that the likes of the Duke of Buccleuch and the Duke of Roxburgh are dictating who the minister is going to be, which is not the way the Presbyterian Kirk was supposed to work. And that's why the Free Church said, we're not having this because we are not free of their patronage because they were putting their man into the pulpit yeah. to tell you to behave yourself. And the the removal of people out to Australia mm. um, through um, being deported out to Australia happened for a good hundred years and it tended to be ministers and the local landlord working together to say to the sheriff, that Doug's got a mouth on him, watch him. And if you look at it, during the, the, the 19th century, there were 19 different crimes for which you could be deported oh, to Australia. Wow. Okay, obvious ones like um, murder. Very occasionally, you didn't get hung for murder; you got sent to Australia. Okay, um, robbery, theft, fine. Stealing cloth. Mm-hmm. If you're so poor that yeah. you cannot yeah. buy yourself a winter coat because you've been forced off your land and you've gone to work in the mill and then you become unemployed because the mill's closed down or the mill owner doesn't like you, and you're so poor that all you can do mm-hmm. is steal a winter cloth then you're going to get arrested and you can be deported <coughs> for life. And your wife and your kids, tough. They're left behind. Well, there's some really interesting parallels here. In, in, in. Yeah. Here's my mouth. With land in your hand, you'll be happy on earth. 
So invest in the church for your heaven. There you go. And there you have it. Yeah. And that was, and again, I mean, the, the, the church condoned this. Yeah. There, there were no yeah. church ministers saying it's outrageous that you're sending children for stealing a loaf of bread. And it happened. Children who stole bread were deported mm-hmm. to Australia, never to be seen again. I mean, there were a few that were deported for X number of years. How are they going to come back? If you're sent to Australia for seven years and you're a child and you go out there, for seven years you work. So at the end of the seven years, you're no longer a criminal, but you've got no income. You've got no job. You've got no house. You're chucked out at the end of your sentence. How are you ever going to get the money to come back to Scotland? And would you want to? Because that's a place that chucked you out. You you may have... My brain's racing now because... the, the the few, admittedly few, Australian people that, that, that I've met in my life and, and who I've become a little bit close to have always seemed to have a very different attitude to work than the average Brit, whoever mm. that would be, an average mm. Brit. Um, and I think I'm beginning to see why that <laughs> might be the case. You can understand <laughs> why? Yeah. Because of how, how work was forced upon yeah. People and, and, yeah. and, and their reaction uh-huh. to it. I mean, in the Highland clearances, a lot of the Jacobite soldiers were captured and those that weren't put to death were sold into slavery mm-hmm. in America. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't happen in the Lowland clearances. But if you had a mouth, you would end up in Australia. And as I say, you could end up out there with a sentence for life, in which case you're basically a slave for life because you are a prisoner yeah. and yeah. you have to work and you are not paid until you die. And that's it. So, so, Young, fit, angry, annoyed, you know, aggressive men are going to get deported. Their wives and their kids are going to be left destitute. And the only thing you can do is drift into the town, hopefully get a job in the mill, because if not, it's the poorhouse. And then you're even separated from your children. And as I say, the death rate amongst people in the town is going up. And you know yourself, you go walking in the borders, beautiful countryside, and there are no communities, there are no villages. We've talked before, if you think about it, the borders gets hit with the Black Death. Then the border gets hit with Darien. Then the borders gets hit with the lowland clearances. There is a reason why there are so many sheep and so few people down here. Yeah. You know, and, and again, and, and, and the borders themselves, certain towns, as you've mentioned before, in, in the borders suddenly become not part of, of Scotland during these, these times. And they're, they're, they're almost yeah. like a, a ring, they're ring fenced in, yeah. in, in, in yeah. In, in, in many ways. And as I say, because yeah. you're removing anybody that has yeah. any gumption no, wow. at all, yeah. then obviously you've got, you know, the, the, because you're looking, if you're, if you're a quiet, passive personality and you look at what happens when somebody's mouthy, mm. oh, they get deported, all right, I'm keeping my head down. Yeah. And so that becomes what you do. And because everything then is coming from the Duke of Buclou, everything is coming from the Duke of Roxburgh. The cornerstone of social deference. Well done it. you. That is what you have yeah. to do because well there is there is nothing else there. Yeah. Even those that are successful with their nineteen year lease, you are still only got nineteen years. You're being told when to line yourself. You're being told what crops to grow. You're mm. being told what to do and where to go and and how many people you can employ, and the land's being enclosed. And as I say, you could work the land really well for nineteen years, and then at the end of the nineteen years, the land has improved so much that the Duke of Buccleuch says, "Well, I'm going to double the tenancy, and you can't pay it." So all your work's gone for nothing and somebody else gets the benefit. The Duke always gets the benefit, but somebody else gets your 19-year lease well, and you're, you, you're out. You have given me, next time I'm tugging my <laughs> forelock, uh, you've given me a lot to think about here. So, yeah. 
Um, can I go back to a, a, a thought that, that I don't think we've addressed yet, it, which is what do we actually know about the, the, the lowland clearances in, in documented form, but more specifically, why is it that the highland clearances tend to be given much more prominence than, than what you have wonderfully explained happened down in these parts? I think the Highland clearances have the romance of the rising of the 15 and 45. It happened over a shorter period (laughs) and it was very brutally done. It was brutal, yeah. Whereas it was a lot more insidious down here. Uh And also, as I said, to start with, it was marketed as, this isn't clearances, this is improvement. Uh We're not clearing you. I wanted to get you back to that concept. Nobody's nobody's forcing you off the land at the end of bayonets. It's just legal niceties. And because of that, and it's a drip, and it's done over a longer period of time, so it's a drip, 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 and it's not noticed. Because we all learned in school about the 18th century great agricultural improvers. Uh-huh. We didn't learn about lowland clearances. It, it wasn't is. mentioned at all. And so it's that clever turn of phrase. You like this as a linguistic term. <laughs> I love that this. Using <laughs> that, talking about improving rather than clearing. And that's what, that's how you get away with moving people off the land until you've got everything you want and sheep as far as the eye can see. Now allow me to be a proto-Tory for a moment and say, so this is the difference between the lowland and highland clearances. Down here, it's the right thing to do because we're levelling up and delivering for the people. Indeed. (laughs) Mary, thank you very much. That was an education for me. (laughs) 